Barnes to teach about sacred practices. And it's been really interesting because we've actually been given uh, the option to choose what we want to teach about it. It's been really interesting to hear what's been on the hearts of different people in our community that have been invited to teach. And uh, today, Wade is going to be teaching about thankfulness. Um, and I'm just going to let you teach. I'm not going to try and do an introduction. I'm just going to go for it. Lord, I'm so thankful for Wade. In so many ways, thank you for who you have made him to be. Um, as a husband and a father and a friend, uh, someone that is uh, faithful in everything that he does. Lord, I believe that you've given him an ability to communicate well. And I believe that you've been speaking to him as he's prepared this message. I pray now that you would settle in him. Just sift it all down. Let all the different thoughts and all the things that have gone around in his mind that he's read, that you would just left, let that be sifted. That you would give him the words that those of us who are here this morning, that we need to hear by your Holy Spirit. And that you would give us ears to hear. And I ask those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, greetings, friends. Thank you once again for making it here. I'd like to start off by thanking and acknowledging the uh, Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations, on whose traditional unceded territory we meet and live and play and worship Jesus. Um, so, yes, sacred practices. So, um, those of you uh, new to our service today, to our guests and visitors, um, during the summer, uh, many of us on the leadership team or as part of our community take turns uh, preaching on Sunday to give Gordy uh, a little bit more time off. It's nice to hear different voices. Um, also, as we heard, Gordy and Kathleen have been in Montreal and all over the place. Um, so this is kind of standard for us that we divide up the teaching. Um, and so our... Uh, when this teaching series was announced over the summer, as Joanna mentioned, we were actually given a fair bit of liberty. Uh, and it's like, so we're going to preach on sacred practices, and if you want to follow a lectionary reading, look at the lectionary, and that would be great. And this is uh, one of our lectionary readings for today that we did not read. Uh, and this is going to be my text today. So let's uh, quickly read through this. Uh, be careful then of how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So, I'll be honest, when I was looking through my lectionary readings and I stumbled upon this, I went, oh, whew, thank God. There's so much in here. It's like I could pick anything. Like, this is great. There's like, I don't know, there's 10 sermons in there, easily. I don't know if you guys have remembered the last couple times that I've shared or that you spent a lot of time on the website, you know, backtracking the podcasts. Uh, the last time I preached might have been last summer, actually. I was speaking on uh, uh, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. 
Um, he knows she's a prostitute. She's a foreigner. Uh, don't feed the dogs what should be given to the children. Like, it's... <laughs> It's quite a serious passage. Uh, the passage before that, we were going through Exodus. Uh, and where is Abraham and Sarah? They're going somewhere in the desert. They meet this tribe. Abraham says, no, she's not my wife. She's my sister. And so then he gives her to these women. Sorry. He gives his sister, which is really his wife, to these people that they meet so they can have relations with, it's messed up. It's seriously messed up. And it's like, there's your passage, Wade. Yay. So, uh, you know, you don't want to, I'm kind of glad I may have been able to get a little easier one today. So here's what I want to focus on today. Thinking about sacred practices, I want to focus on thankfulness or uh, the Greek term in this phrase is eucharistio. So this Greek term uh, is the same as in, uh, I think that this explains it nicely in uh, Luke twenty-two nineteen. 19. And so he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance to me. So once again, I want to look at that phrase, and we're going to make much use of the laser pointer today here, uh, giving thanks. That's what we want to focus on. So perhaps you're familiar with this because there was this woman by the name of Ann Voskamp, who I'm sure many of you have heard of. She wrote a book called 1,000 Gifts that essentially broke the internet. Um, especially if you're uh, an evangelical woman and you have a Facebook account, I'm sure you've seen something on this. She did very well for herself. Um, and she, I think she did a really good job, I'll admit, I haven't read the book. Joanna has, I didn't read the book. I've read lots of blogs, I've read lots of commentaries. I know about the book. Um, the entire root of this book is this idea of Eucharistio. So this is out of an interview that Ms. Voskamp gave. The root of Eucharistio is charis, which means grace. So once again, talking about the Eucharist, Jesus took the bread and sought as grace, and gave thanks. He took the bread and knew it would to be a gift and gave thanks. Eucharistio, which is that Greek word, thanksgiving envelops the Greek word for grace, cherish. But it also holds its derivative, the Greek word chera, meaning joy. So cherish, grace, Eucharistio, thanksgiving, chera, joy. All wrapped up together of this idea. And so that Greek word Eucharistio is the exact same one here in our text today, Right there, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, as you start looking around, thankfulness and gratitude is an incredibly popular topic. And not just in Christendom and with Anne Voskamp and as it appears on our Facebook and Twitter feeds. Um, but the internet, when you start looking around, there's tons tons of this to uh, start talking about thankfulness. And then if you even look up like a Sunday school Bible study on thankfulness, like we could spend all of the next half hour just going through verses on thankfulness. Um, the interesting thing is if we want to move out of our sort of evangelical culture, there's been a lot of research, scientific research actually done on the benefits of thankfulness. So 
To get us on the topic, I wanted us to take a little look at this video here about the science of gratitude. So let's watch this. can measurably improve your overall well-being. For example, studies prove that gratitude can increase happiness, reduce depression, and strengthen resiliency. Grateful people often experience reduced blood pressure, less chronic pain, increased energy, even longer lives. People who purposefully express more gratitude report higher self-esteem than those who don't, and they're more likely to help others a pro-social behavior also linked to greater happiness. People who capture grateful thoughts before bed sleep better than those who don't. Why so many positive changes? Because gratitude actually rewires our brains, kickstarting the production of dopamine and serotonin. Like antidepressants, these feel-good neurotransmitters activate the bliss center of the brain, creating feelings of happiness and contentment. This appears to be self-perpetuating. Research suggests that with regular practice, you'll train your prefrontal cortex to better appreciate and retain positive experiences and thoughts, and to deflect the negative ones. Here are a few simple ways to deliberately cultivate that attitude of gratitude. Celebrate minor accomplishments. Think about what you have, rather than dwelling on what you don't. Tell the people in your life something you appreciate about them. Tell yourself too. Volunteer, hold a door for a stranger, or simply smile more, and you'll probably feel better, as kindness and giving are connected to gratitude. Similar positive brain changes can occur from regular meditation and mindfulness. Keep a daily gratitude journal using an old-fashioned notebook or a high-tech app. The science is clear. Give gratitude a go. You'll be thankful you did. So that's a nice, happy little short internet video. You're like, yay, be grateful. Uh, but when you actually look at some of those studies that they had cited there, oh, and there was Oprah smiling. Yay, be grateful. When you read some of the studies, it's like mind-blowingly simple in its awesomeness. And so they do all sorts of studies. They have a control group and they do this and then you guys know how scientific studies work. But they found that when people kept a gratitude journal that uh, it actually improved their immune system. <laughs> You're like, what? Of just, you know, having a gratefulness practice. I... Um, I have attempted to do this casually off and on for like a couple years. And I find, uh, I find that it's really helped me. And that's why I'm like, oh, well, I want to talk about, you know, practices because I've practiced this in my life and often I forget. But I found that, you know, when the psychotic busyness of life just sort of feels like it's crashing down on you, like that horrible undertow wave that you've been caught on on the beach that just keeps slamming you down on the beach and you feel you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You have to go to the doctor's appointment or your kid's sick or your car breaks down or your boss is a jerk or, you know, you forgot to pay your phone bill. Just our society has a way of just crumpling you up like a piece of paper and then you just need to keep slogging on. And so I found that myself when I was... Um, either going to sleep or getting up in the morning when you're like, oh, I can't believe it's 5.30 in the morning. 
um, I usually need to wrench myself out of bed immediately and sit on the side of the bed upright or I won't get up. I like going through a small practice of gratitude and I find that it really helps focus me and just realize the blessings that we do have. So I would support that fun little internet video uh, with my own personal practice as well. So we know that being grateful is good for you. Science has proved that. Oprah has sold lots of magazines exactly about that. It's also obviously a commandment from God. So this is our text today at the very end. You know, we might talk about this more later. I find this is very interesting that it says giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything. We're going to come back to that. Think about that. In your head, you're jumping ahead of where I am right now, which is good, which is good. Keep thinking about that. Um, but also, oh yeah, here we go. This is another good one. So then just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted up and built in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So one of the fun Pinterest things that I found when preparing was this really awesome youth group game on thankfulness. And I considered for at least a couple days of us playing some youth group games right here, right now. I decided not to simply because of time. But I think we will stand up and have a stretch break later. But in your minds, and we can do a mindfulness exercise right now. All right, so in your minds, think and imagine all of us divided into two groups, maybe left and right, at the back of the church with a pile of water balloons. And then I have a bucket up here. So then as teams, you guys need to get the water balloon without touching it. So I'm thinking you might be like butt to butt, walking down through these beautiful, historic, sacred halls of St. David's here with this water balloon and then trying to get it over the bucket and somehow popping it and getting the water in the bucket so that way we could demonstrate that we'd be overflowing with thankfulness. That would be fun, especially to see Bob do it. That would be great. Might be a little awkward. Some of you would love it. Some of you would refuse to do it. All of you would think that I'm insane. That would be great. So we're not going to do that today, but I deeply considered it, deeply considered it. I think any time that now... We can do something when you guys just aren't sitting and I'm just talking. Anything physical that we can do to facilitate this learning process, especially if it involves water balloons, is always good. Always fun. But, so, moving on. There you go. Lots of things to do. Crafts, hands, trees, journals. I think gratefulness powers half of Pinterest, which is awesome. So, it's good for you. It's a commandment from God. I also think it's the path to grace. So think about this one. This is really interesting. So, of course, this is the story of the ten lepers out of Luke 17, 19. As Jesus continued towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria, and he entered a village there. Ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, 
when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? No one has returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Okay, wait. I heard this story in Sunday school all my life, right? Look at this again. Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. What do you mean? He was healed back here, right? Like when they were... When they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. So obviously, the smart people amongst you have looked forward to the footnote here. What they're really saying is your faith has saved you. Think about that. What? What just happened there? That's a lot deeper than what I thought I learned at Sunday school. So here are these 10 lepers, right? Let's go back, okay? They go to Jesus and say, have mercy on us. He's like, go show yourselves to the priests. As they go, all 10 of them are healed of leprosy. As we know, if they're lepers, they're complete social outcasts. There's no hope for them at all. They go to the priests. One of them comes back and expresses gratitude to Jesus, and he says, you're saved. That messes with my traditional Sunday school theology about salvation in a really cool way. So just because he went back and was grateful, he went from this physical experience of being healed from a very serious disease that made him a social outcast to having a spiritual interaction with the living God. Because he was grateful. Does that bake your noodle as much as it does mine? Kind of crazy. So, here's my giant flashing double underline major giant point. If you want to write something down, you don't have to write this down. It's good. It's gold. I didn't say it. <laughs> Eric did, right? So, practice as a spiritual discipline, gratitude realigns us with the giver, and increases his activity in our lives. What? So here's the simple but profoundly deep theological equation for all of you who like equations. Gratitude begets humility, which begets God's grace. So as we practice gratefulness, that helps our humility and our humility puts us in a position to receive God's grace. Psalm 104, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So I started thinking about true gratitude. It's very easy for me to be grateful because we, we as in this community, in this culture, are so blessed. And when I'm practicing my, uh, uh, my gratefulness at 5.30 in the morning on the edge of my bed, I think my first mantra is, Dear Jesus, I thank you for the coffee bean for which I am about to partake. 
uh, I am thankful um, that I live in a heated house and that as my uh, feet hit the rug and I stand up in my tired state, I'm about to walk to my kitchen, which is full of food. In my human shallowness, I think that my first thoughts about gratitude come to stuff, which we're going to talk about very soon. Ultimately, what true gratitude is, and once I manage to go through my fallenness, ultimately, our very gift of life comes from Christ, right? The ability that I'm able to get up, to go to work, to make my coffee, that my arms function to press my French press is because of the gift of life that Christ has given me. So true gratitude, obviously, um, true gratitude is when we focus on Christ, right? And the gifts that he has given to us. Uh, And then, of course, gratitude brings about humility. When we understand that we can essentially do nothing without God's grace... Um, then that puts us in a position to receive God's grace. James 4, 6, as you can read there. So we could stop here. Um, You know, and that's a great sermon. You know, I finished early. Thankfulness is good. A couple of Pinterest exercises. Youth group game, water balloons, be thankful. We could totally stop there, right? Great sermon, Wade, you're done early, but I just can't do that because I'm me, you guys are you. Um, We need to go a little deeper. Um, Perhaps, and I want to be careful how I communicate this. I want to talk about the thankfulness temptation. Perhaps, you know, it's late at night, it's raining, you've had one glass of red wine, you've listened to a little too much Depeche Mode, you're feeling... Just, you're asking some larger questions about the world. Uh, Maybe you're on a missions trip in a uh, foreign culture or in a not-so-foreign culture further north in British Columbia, and you're all alone, and you're in your bunk, and you're crying in your pillow, hoping that no one hears you as you're trying to emotionally process what you've seen today and the wretchedness of mankind. Just speaking from, I know a guy, I have a friend who might have experienced all those things. Uh, Now, see, the thing is, is we are, we're products of our culture. Yeah, that friend was me. Yes, (laughs) I totally admit, that's me. I'm guilty of all those things. When you start digging deeper, or when you're feeling a bit more introspective, or when you asking larger questions. Um, Really, why are we so blessed when other people aren't? Um, Why is my first cultural norm to go towards thankfulness, why does that go to stuff first, of which we are so overwhelmed? Um, I think that also it's very easy to, um, let's go to this. When we compare ourselves to others, everyone loses. This is like the Pharisee saying his prayers in the temple. I am thankful, Lord, that I'm not like this poor tax collector. Um, I also think that uh, going back to 
um, Ms. Voskamp, who's written these great books, those books came out of a place, although she might be incredibly successful and has released all sorts of things and is speaking at conferences all over the world and has sold a ton of books, that book came from a tremendous amount of pain in her life. Um, as a child, uh, her mother was committed to a mental institution, and it was the family secret that no one could talk about, and they carried this tremendous amount of shame. Her younger sister was killed in an accidental uh, farm, um, killed on the farm in one of those horribly tragic farm accidents that happened in Canada. So on the surface, our lives can look really happy and shiny, and we might not be living in a mud hut starving, but there's so much emotional pain underneath. So how are you thankful uh, in those circumstances? Or if you are living in a culture with much less, in much more difficult circumstances, that comparison between our culture and a different culture gets really difficult, right? Does that mean God loves us more because we have more stuff than he loves them? Like, this is a giant can of worms, right, that I wrestle with all the time. Um, so that's why we're not stopping here. We're going to delve a little deeper. So um, now's the time. We're going to get, we're going to think a little harder here. So now's the time that I want you all to stand up. Stand up. Stretch. Okay. Spin around. Wiggle. Do something. Because I'm not done. And we're going to think some more. So now sit down. None of you had to get a water balloon on your butt or get wet, so that's good. I started thinking about this. A couple of years ago, I went to this conference uh, that was, there was this book written a few years ago called When Helping Hurts by Brian Ficker and uh, Steve, uh, how do you pronounce his name? Cobert? Corbett, thank you. So I went to this conference that was uh, sponsored by Food for the Hungry, which is a really great nonprofit uh, and so they wrote this book that has really had a huge influence on uh, the evangelical view of missions and helping. And it is fairly mind-blowing. Luckily, we have YouTube. So here's your homework. On the back of your bulletin, these YouTube videos are listed. There are six of them. There's the title. I guarantee you, you cannot watch these videos without having your brain just melted or being seriously convicted. They're actually very well done in a documentary style, in a very great storytelling. Um, I heard this guy speak and he's amazing, but it was pretty academic. Uh, these videos are very watchable and please, please go watch them. So here's what we're going to talk about. It's thankfulness. So as Westerners from my culture, because we are all products of our culture and I can only speak as a Westerner and all the cultural worldview that that entails, we tend to talk about poverty in material terms. As I said, when I am practicing my gratitude, I first, because I am a Westerner, there are many blessings of that. This is how my brain goes first, right? I am thankful that I have this stuff. And when we think of people, uh, in a developing nation who are poor, we usually think in material terms, right? So if we're going to talk about poverty, we're like, okay, well, poor people need more stuff, more 
education, more uh, systems, more programs. The interesting thing is when you talk to the materially poor, they tend to describe their situations not in terms of stuff. They describe their situations in social and psychological terms. Um, poverty is shame. Um, poverty is powerlessness. There's a huge difference there, and that's a big, big deal. It's like going to the doctor. If you have a headache and you go to the doctor and the doctor says, what are your symptoms? And he's like, well, you know, I, I, I have a headache and um, it hurts. And the doctor goes, great. Well, here's some Tylenol that will take your headache away. But if you don't diagnose the root of the problem, like not having stuff is a symptom. It's not the root of the problem. So if you go to the doctor and you have a headache and he gives you Tylenol, but you really have a brain tumor, that's a big big problem. So I think the way that we look at poverty, often our worldview diagnoses symptoms and not problems. So here's where we are going of why we need to think a little bit. Please don't be overwhelmed by this amazing PowerPoint doc, uh, diagram that I made for you. Okay, so what we're going to do right now is we're going to talk about humanness, because it doesn't matter if you're rich, you're poor, we're all human. So humanity is made up of these four relationships, okay? So here's the individual right here. We have our relationship with God. We have our relationship with others. We have our relationship with ourselves, And we have our relationship with the rest of creation. These are all interdependent upon each other. And out of that, we get our economic systems, religious systems, political systems, and social systems. Are you still with me? So thank you for being with me. So... Let's explain this. So let's talk about the biblical uh, story of the fall of man. All right? So Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they're hanging out. Eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, and their relationship between them and God is severed. They are now suffering a poverty of spiritual intimacy. Because of that, God says to them, there are now thorns that are going to infest the ground. Eve, you will have pain in childbirth. They are now experiencing a poverty of stewardship of creation around them. They then experience a poverty of community with others because Adam says to God, um, sorry God, but the woman made me do it doesn't take responsibility, that relationship is fractured. In Genesis 4, we see jealousy between Cain and Abel, the first murder. Here we have a poverty of community, and then ultimately we come here up to poverty of being because they feel shame for the first time. They are separated from God, they feel naked, and they hide from God. Make sense? So we have poverty of spiritual intimacy, poverty of stewardship, Poverty of community, poverty of being. So let's move on. So thinking in our typical worldview of poor, if we're thinking of a culture other than ours, here we have, let's say we have a, as an example, we have a, a, a culture um, that worships um, outside forces, right? Uh, that worships false gods, whatever that may be. Uh, your poverty of spiritual intimacy is that you are now 
you're not worshiping a true God, you are now uh, brain fart. You're not worshiping a true God, so you're at the mercy of external forces, right? Wind, waves, crops. So your poverty of stewardship is because you don't take stewardship over creation. If you just, for example, I'm making this up, if you worship the rat god, you don't kill the rats that are eating your crop. So that causes, uh, then you're, obviously your children are hungry, uh, famine, so that breaks relationship, your poverty of community, you have intertribal conflict, problems with your caste system, and of course your poverty of being is um, that you don't have a proper self-image, right? So, last example. Let's say if I told you that there was a culture, I'm way ahead of my notes here, which is totally fine. Okay, so here's this culture that, let's say, uh, with their relationship with God, they deny that God exists. The problem uh, with their stewardship, poverty of stewardship, is that they're workaholics. Um, the uh, problem with their poverty of community is that they are very self-centered. And then, of course, the poverty of being is that they are riddled with pride and a God complex. So, obviously, friends, who is that culture? That's us. So, here's the point. We are all poor. Every single one of us. So, let me go back a bit. Acknowledging that we are all poor when these... Oh, no, I believe I actually said this on the next slide. So, poverty is the inability to fully experience these four key relationships. And so, if you're not experiencing those in the way that God designed them to work, because the relationships are broken, then the systems are broken as well. Broken people make broken systems. I want to look at this picture again. So, if these are broken... This is kind of like a wheel, right? So if we remove this one of these structures, if you take a spoke out of a wheel, the wheel gets bent, right? And so those systems no longer function, and that is poverty. So acknowledging that we are all poor because of these broken relationships, irregardless of our culture, then poverty alleviation starts with reconciling relationships. So, what's our relationship with God, and is that functioning in the wholeness that God has for us? What's our relationship of our poverty of community with each other? Are we focused, are we experiencing wholeness in that? So, unless we are talking about reconciliation and wholeness in all these areas, we're not really diagnosing the issue, the problem, we're just treating symptoms. So this is why I got off on this one. How does this change our idea of thankfulness and gratitude? If we can come to an understanding that we are all poor and that our relationships, although we as Westerners might be, we might not be materially poor, 
we have stuff, oftentimes I know I'm tempted towards poverty of stewardship, of, of feeling lack, that I need to work harder, that I don't take Sabbath, that I neglect other parts of that wheel because of my cultural self-centeredness, because of my poverty of being, right? We're all broken. So, oh no, come back. We are broken, poor people who function in broken relationships and broken systems. So, ultimately, the important point here is that a theology of gratitude, that gratitude practice, that thing we read on Pinterest, is great. It's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it doesn't allow for grief, it is misguided. And ultimately, it's dangerous. Because we just can't say to everyone all the time, hey, look on the bright side of life. Jesus, Lord of creation, hanging on that cross, experiencing the most brutal torture that mankind has ever devised, feeling separated from God for the first time ever. Hey, guess what? Look on the bright side of life. That's not what you say on Good Friday. That's not the point. That's a false gratitude. Because gratitude and thankfulness um, is never based on a set of circumstances. Because circumstances change, irregardless of your upbringing, or your culture, or your material wealth. Thankfulness and gratitude is based on a person. And that person, obviously, is Jesus Christ. And Jesus not, he didn't come only to suffer for us on the cross, but he came to suffer with us. Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Jesus was fully God and fully human and he understood grief. He understood pain. Revelations 21.4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Ultimately... What we have to be thankful for is the promise of redemption. And that through Christ's death and resurrection, he makes all things new. That in the midst of our pain and our broken relationships and our broken systems, God has called us to walk with each other as he walks with us. And that the hope of the coming kingdom, of the kingdom that's here, but not yet, but not quite, but we get these glimpses of God's glory through our pain. And that we're not worshiping a, a false idol in the sky who we are just, um, that we're 
being influenced by these external forces that we can't control, we worship a living God who walked as a human, who beat death, and that that's our promise. Ultimately, we know that's our thankfulness, but that's such a deep, intrinsically difficult thing to wrestle with if your life doesn't look like a Pinterest board. And it's that hope of Christ, ultimately, that we can be grateful for. And as we go back to my very intellectual diagram of poverty, that's how we walk forward in partnership with our community, with new communities, with new cultures, with lower posts. That's exactly what Gordon, Kathleen, and Sophia just said a half hour ago. We are going to lower posts to learn and to walk and to journey because we are all poor. I might be materially unpoor, but as I recognize my poverty of community, my poverty of spirit, my poverty of stewardship, I'm in a much better position to walk with my brothers and sisters who are rich in stewardship and rich in community and that we learn together. That is something that we can be grateful for. And it speaks so much to my own angst of trying to make sense of these worlds and these systems. Yes, I'm surrounded by beautiful, great stuff, and I'm thankful for my coffee, but what about this? What about, like, we can start naming tragedies. We could go on and on and on about things that we experience in our own culture. What do you do with that? Well, Jesus grieves with us and with our broken systems. And as we reconcile those relationships, that's the hope of Christ that we have, that one day he will wipe every tear from their eyes and that there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So in light of that, now is the time that we get to do a thankfulness exercise. So on the back of your bulletin, I left just a tiny little bit of space. You can write really big. You can write really small. In light of that, what are you grateful for? Let's practice our, our, uh, our attitude of gratitude. There's something about that phrase, that the rhymingness. I don't know. Also, I want to remind you of these excellent YouTube videos. There's six of them. I only made it through two. They're about 20 minutes long each. They're very simple to watch. They're actually kind of entertaining and interesting, but they're mind-blowing. Please go watch them. Uh, we're going to play some music. What I'd like you to do is just reflect and meditate Go through that journey of us understanding our poverty, your poverty, your poverty of spiritual intimacy, poverty of community, poverty of stewardship, and poverty of being. And then how is God calling us to walk with each other, with our community, our larger community of Vancouver, with the community of Lower Post, 
or into a different culture where God is calling you to? How does this change our worldview and our paradigm? Uh, take some time, reflect on that, meditate, write it down or don't write it down, and um, we're going to wrap it up just like that. I don't want to tie a nice little bow on it. When you're done, feel free to... Oh, wait. I'll give it back to the MC. After that, the MC will close. Good thing she's here. All right, thank you so much, guys.